0: Start with this verse out of Psalms, and some of you may have heard this verse a thousand times, and some of you might hear it tonight for the first time, and either way, it's totally okay. Um, The verse, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So, when I read this, kind of depending on where life has me at the moment, um, it can just evoke a number of different responses. So, when life is really good, when my marriage seems to be thriving, when motherhood feels easy and like it fits, Um, when my job is going well or I like what I'm working on, Um, even kind of as shallow as like when I like what I look like, like my clothes I'm wearing, this verse feels true. Like I must be wonderfully made if life is this good. And then on the flip side, when life feels less than ideal, Um, when Will and I seem to be fighting more than normal, when I feel like I'm failing as a mom, When my job feels frustrating, um, when I'm struggling with body image issues, like any of those things, then this verse, it just kind of fits wrong. Like I even figuratively roll my eyes um, at this verse, like how could this be true if life feels this hard or if I feel this lonely or, you know, whatever it is. Um, And I even start to question God, like, did you really mean to make me this way? Like, or could this be an accident or maybe a curse in my life that, like, my personality is like this or I look this way? Um, You know, whatever it is. And so it leads me to the question, like, how many of us struggle with comparison? Like, really? Like, I do. Raise your hand if you have ever compared yourself to somebody else. Um, Yeah, we all have. And it kind of starts young, but, I mean, it goes into every area of life. So, Like, I could easily look at someone and be like, my jeans don't fit me like her jeans fit her. Um, My hair doesn't curl like that. My car isn't as nice as hers. Um, If you're me, my car isn't as clean as her car. Um, You know, that thing that I'm good at, it feels like she's better at it. And that hasn't even gotten to, like, some of our really big heart desires or our spiritual lives. Um, Like, she has the husband I want, the boyfriend I want, the relationships, the friendships I want. Um, She has the family I want. Um, And then even places with God, like, it feels like God might love her more than me. It feels like he's answered her prayers, but he hasn't answered my prayers. Um, And that is crushing, like, the weight of all of that is crushing. And comparison starts so early in our lives. I want you to take a second and just close your eyes and try to remember the first time you felt like you weren't enough, or the first time you felt insecure. For me, it was in, you can open your eyes, sorry. Um, For me, the first memory I got, I was in first grade. And I remember being out on the blacktop at the playground, and um, I was just hanging out with some of my friends, and this girl, we're going to call her Lara Beth, I have changed her name to protect her identity, Um, Lara Beth hit me, like just straight up slapped me in the face. And I was the shortest girl in my grade, um, which is like not a shocker. I'm really short, Um, and I had a bowl cut, so I was, you know, looking real good, and um, you know who else was short and had a bowl cut? Lara Beth. And, you know, I don't even remember what this altercation was about, like, actually in the moment, Um, but I do remember the feeling of being insecure and feeling like there wasn't enough room for the two of us in our friend group and I was seven years old. That's crazy, you know? Um, And then, like, I think back to middle school, and none of us want to go back to middle school. If we have any middle school girls in here right now, there is hope, like, out (laughs) on the horizon. Middle school is hard. Um, So seventh grade for me looked like frizzy bangs, baggy jeans on an awkward body, um, and crooked teeth, and any girl in my middle school that was considered cool. She was wearing these jeans called mauve jeans. Like mauve jeans were the thing in my middle school, and eyeliner and lip gloss, and that was the standard of beauty there. Um, but not me. My mom had this rule that makeup was for eighth grade, so I was just stuck there in seventh grade and idolizing this standard of beauty in these girls. And you know, I remember feeling less than like. People liked me less. I was less cool, less fun, and especially less pretty. And even though I had good things going for me, I just wanted to be pretty like them. Like, I just wanted to be that way. Um, And then high school and college came, and I began to accept myself a little bit more, but still those same questions were coming up, those same comparison thoughts. Like, was I popular enough? Was I pretty enough? Was I skinny enough? Was I smart enough? Um, they just plagued me. I couldn't get rid of them. Um, and now, here in my 30s, I've conquered comparison. No, that's not true at all. Like, it's a total lie. It's not true. It's still here. Um, so for any of you who haven't hit your 30s yet, um, you're going to show up and it's still going to be there. And for any of you who are past 30 and 40s, 50s, and on, wherever... <laughs> Um, comparison is still there. And it touches every area of my life. Um, it touches marriage, like I compare myself to the other wives around me. Am I as supportive? Am I as fun? Um, do I do enough? You know, whatever. Other moms, like did I lose my baby weight as fast as them? Does my house look like theirs? Do my kids look like theirs? Um, it just goes on and on to other women, you know, in the workplace. Am I as talented? Am I as competent? Am I as smart? Um, it just doesn't stop. And that comparison is suffocating. Have you felt that? Like it just is suffocating. Um, Teddy Roosevelt has a quote, and it ironically revolves around Pinterest, which is like the world's biggest bulletin board of unobtainable standards. <laughs> and this quote, it's, it's just, we know it. You might know it. Um, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And that feels true. When I am standing in the shadow of someone else, when I am fixated on all that they are and all that I'm not, joy cannot be found there. Um, It is the place that the enemy's plan is thriving. Like when I'm focused on wanting to be someone else, I have lost sight of my God-given identity. Um, The unity of Christ is lost to me. And so I lose momentum in the kingdom. Um, And it really brings me back to the creation story in Genesis, um, which is like when the serpent tells Eve to take the apple or the fruit or whatever it is— the question that kind of pops up is, did God really mean that? Like, did he really say that? And that's kind of the question that starts to stir up in my heart. Like, did he really make me this way on purpose? Was his plan for me really all that good? Did he really mean this? Um, And, you know, then comparison can lead to competition. And I'm not talking about competition like sports or games or even the natural workplace competition. It's that, like, deep heart-level internal competition that starts to stir up. And this happened to me recently. Hold on, I'm going to go drink water, guys. I'm not as skilled as some of our teachers who can, like, talk and drink water. I don't do that. <laughs> They're going to teach me, maybe. Um, so this happened to me recently. Um, I have a friend who is similar in personality and gifting. Not completely the same, but similar enough And she was getting the opportunity to do something that I really wanted to do. Like, this was the thing I really wanted to do. And I was not getting that opportunity. And it just plagued me. Like, I kept thinking about it. I kept um, wanting to do it and feeling like I wasn't good enough and I was never going to be good enough. And it just was eating away at me. And this downward spiral of comparison It started turning in to this like competitive spirit and this prideful heart, this defensive posture. And every time I saw her, I could only think about how I wanted my chance and how I was going to be good at that. And I didn't even need to be the best at it. Like I didn't need to be better than her even. I just wanted to be as good. Like I just wanted my moment. And, you know, it just feels like in that moment, competition feels like you might actually get what you want. Like, those thoughts, it felt like, I'm going to get what I want. I'm going to make this happen. Um, I might get what I want out of this. Um, But, you know, as I just kept comparing myself and feeling like I needed to make something happen, um, division and bitterness were growing in my heart. So if comparison is the thief of joy, I believe that competition is fertile ground for bitterness and division to grow. And so every competitive thought and action I had, it felt like um, they were turning into bricks, you know, like a brick, like in the wall. And brick by brick, with every competitive thought and action, brick by brick, um, we're laying like a foundation to build our kingdom on. Not God's kingdom, but like me competing with this friend felt like I was laying out my own foundation and I was going to build my kingdom there. And I mean, just imagine like... Does that really fit in, like, with God's plan for my life, that I'm going to, like, exalt myself? Um, No. In John 15, Jesus talks about how the greatest love is laying down your life for another person. And competition really feels like the opposite of that. Like, that competition is, like, the promotion of self without the well-being of others. And it was a rotten place I found myself in. Like, knowing this wasn't right, and knowing it didn't feel good, but I couldn't get out of it. And thank the Lord for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, because he just kind of started nudging me and probably pushing me and shoving me a little bit um, to lay down that pride, to let it go. And so I um, decided, like, I need to confess this to a friend. So I want to, like, pause in my story right here and say something about confession. Confession. Um, If you are not confessing regularly to another person and spending time asking them to pray for you, I encourage you to go home tonight and start praying that God would give you a friend that it is safe to confess to. Because in confession, um, the transformational work of Jesus happens. Um, You let someone in on who you really are. Like with this friend, it was really scary for me to go tell her this. Um, So that's normal. It's scary to say like, I'm a rotten person and think bad thoughts. And so I went to her and you know told her this, scared she would reject me, judge me, um, that she would look at me differently. Um, but when I confessed to her, she responded so the opposite. She accepted me. She told me she understood. Um, she told me she would pray for me. She challenged me. And so instead of rejection, I got acceptance. And this friend who I've been walking with for a while, it's like she now has seen the good and the bad parts of me and the ugly and the redeemed parts of me. And Jesus shows up there. He is dealing with that sin just like he dealt with it on the cross. Um, And confession is transformational. So action item, go start praying for a friend you can confess to. And if you have it, keep doing it. It is so good. Um, So back in the story. I confess to this friend and um, started to pray for the friend I was competing with. Sorry, it's like two friends and I don't want to say their names. Um, So I started praying for the friend I was competing with. I decided, like, I'm gonna be her biggest fan. I'm gonna cheer her on and encourage her. Um, And so I just committed. And every time I thought of her, I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, pray for her, encourage her, and I'm still doing it. Like, I'm gonna be her behind the scenes, number one girl. And, you know, it changed my heart. It is changing my heart. Um, I have this new love and appreciation for this woman. Um, God is showing me that the kingdom is big enough for both of us and that his table has more than enough room for both of us. Um, So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, it's totally fine. I'm going to read it for you. Okay, we're going to start in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Jump to verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. so this is where we find ourselves um, wanting to be someone else, to be like someone else, um, to change part of us that we don't particularly like. Um, and what about someone who's good at the same thing that you're good at or who's similar to you? Um, that's what it felt like with this friend I was competing with. Like, It doesn't feel like we're the hand and the foot that 1 Corinthians 12 is talking about. It feels like we're both hands guess what, the body has two hands. And, you know, sometimes I do things right-handed. I do most things right-handed. I write, I throw a ball. But with my left hand, I catch the ball. Like, I played softball, and it took both hands to play softball. Um, And the left hand did something different than the right hand, Um, still for the same purpose. And, you know, I believe the heavy lifting requires both hands. So when I lean down to my baby's crib to pick her up, I use both hands because she's important and of immeasurable value to me. Um, So I think this is the same in the kingdom, that there is some heavy lifting in the kingdom of God. Um, Darkness is here having its time on earth um, until Jesus returns. And we, the body of Christ, um, get to do some of the heavy lifting, to work in the kingdom of God, um, to push back darkness, and to bring light and joy and radiance to the earth with God. And that's going to require all hands to do that kind of work. Um, so one woman's gifting in no way diminishes your own gifting. Like, I want you to hear that. One woman's gifting, no matter how good she is at what she's doing, doesn't take away from what you're good at. Um, If you're an amazing artist and your friend is also an amazing artist, you're both amazing artists. Like one of you is not less than or worth less because of the other's gifting. And if you're an amazing artist and your friend is a brilliant accountant, then y'all should start a small business and combine your (laughs) gifts and do something together. And if you have a passion for justice and your friend has a passion for feeding the hungry, then you chase your passion for justice. Cheer your friend on to feed the hungry. Like Do what God's putting in your life. Um, If you're a great encourager and your friend has a gift for hospitality and hosting, really combine those gifts. Host a dinner together and encourage some people that need it. Um, You have something specific and special God has given you. And if you get lost in the middle of comparing yourself and competing with other people, then you are robbing yourself of the gift that God gave you. And you are robbing the kingdom. You're robbing the rest of your sisters and brothers in Christ of what God has given you. And so um, this leads me to thinking about, I have two daughters, like I said. Um, Hattie is five. And she is bright and shy and creative and imaginative and so smart, And then there's Violet. And Violet is just a little over one. And already I can see that she's clever and silly and she's outgoing and she's funny. Um, But, you know, there's no comparing the two of them in my eyes or in my heart. Do I love Hattie more than Violet? No way. Um, Do I love Violet more than Hattie? Definitely not. Like, they are both these beautiful reflections of God's goodness, of His wonderful gifts, and they have perfect measures of grace in His life. Like they don't have to be like each other to be loved by me. Um, they just need to be them. I love their differences. And some of us in here who have siblings, I have an older sister amongst a bunch of brothers, but particularly an older sister. And I remember feeling compared to her, whether my parents meant to or not, or teachers meant to or not. Um, and so I, some of you have people in your life you've been compared to, um, siblings, friends, teammates, whatever. Um, that's not how God operates. So if you feel like, you know, the heavenly father is looking at you, um, wishing you were more like someone else, that's not him speaking to you like that. That's the enemy. Um, you know, he looks at you with love. He is the perfect father. He is a perfect parent and he is not comparing you to someone else. Um, And so, your unique gifts, your perspective, and your story, um, they have been woven together by a loving father. Um, He created you in your mother's womb, and spun the idea of you from his own heart. Um, He loves you, and... Um, there are moments of pain in your past, probably, if you're anything like me or, you know, have been on the earth a while. Um, there has been some pain. And, you know, I look back two years ago at the women's worship night. I was in my most painful season I'd ever been in. And I wanted to trade that pain with anyone. I wanted someone else's story in that moment. Um, I wanted to God to take it away, for it not to be my story. And... Um, You know, and I lived through those days of pain. And there's shame in our past. Like, I look back at some of my brokenness and the things I did or the words I said, and I can easily go back and pick up that mantle of shame and carry it now. Um, But that is not what God desires for us. Like, He, He desires to step into your life, like right now, where you are, in pain or shame or even in your good days. Um, And meet you there and carry it. Like, he knows where you are. Um, You don't have to be better for him or better like someone else. Um, He just desires to meet you there. Um, Comparison and competition, um, sadly, will not go away overnight. Like, we're not going to just conquer it and be done with it. Um, In fact, it will not go away until Jesus returns. Um, But there is peace and unity and joy, an abundant life to be found um, when we are abiding with Jesus. Um, and if you tonight are at all unsure of your identity, of who you are to the Father, um, I want to be the first to remind you of who you are and how he sees you. And so I'm going to read something over you, and I invite you to close your eyes and um, just get still um, try to imagine you're like you're sitting with a good and loving father or you're sitting with Jesus or you're you know, dwelling with the Holy Spirit however you feel like you're connecting with the Lord this is who God says you are straight from scripture you are a beloved daughter you have been chosen by him for him You are the apple of his eye, cherished above all else. You are loved with an everlasting love. You were made for this time, not by accident. You were made on purpose, for a purpose. You are accepted, and you are forgiven. You have been delivered, and you are redeemed. You are covered, shielded, and held close. You have been crowned with steadfast love and mercy. You are known by the God who created all things, and you are loved. You are made to be you for him, for his kingdom, and for his glory. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, open your eyes and look around the room. All this that I just read over you, this is not just about you. Um, It is about us as sisters and daughters. It's about us as the body of Christ. Um, Together, we are beloved daughters. We have been chosen by him for him. We are the apple of his eye. We are cherished above all else. And together, we are loved with an everlasting love. We were made for this time, not by accident, but with a purpose, on purpose. We are accepted. We have been forgiven and we are delivered. We are redeemed and we are covered, shielded, and held close. We have been crowned with steadfast love and mercy. We are known by the God who created all things, and together we are loved. Together, we are made to be us, the body of Christ, for Him, for His kingdom, and for His glory. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to believe that we are who you say we are, and that we're your children who you love and delight in, that we are crowned with steadfast love and mercy, and that you have invited us close. And you long to speak truth to us about who we are. Father, I just pray that we would lay down whatever we're holding on to and open our hands up to you. And God, I just ask you to now, in this time, to speak individual true words to the women in this room. Holy Spirit, would you move and speak in the way that only you can? Would you touch like the hurt places of our hearts? the competitive places of our hearts, the defensive places of our hearts? Would you bring healing and restoration? And um, Would you bring humility and help us to lay down pride? You are good to us, God, and we need you. So come, Lord Jesus. Um, speak to us. We are yours, and we open our ears to you and our hearts to you. And it's in your name we pray.